0: Let's take our Bibles and go to Proverbs chapter 22, Proverbs chapter 22, right smack dab or close to the right in the middle of your Bible, and we are in a series on uh, broke about finances and stress and money and the gospel, and this is the third week that we have met and talked about this subject. We talked about how possessions can sometimes possess us. And we talked about the foundations for money in the Bible, and today we're going to talk about the practical side of, of just something that, if we can be very honest this morning, uh, something called dumb debt. Situations that we get ourselves into, that we don't see a way out of, and you say, now Jeff, why would we talk about money in church? I'm going to give you three reasons, but before we do that, let's go to Proverbs chapter 22 and we'll read verse number 7. And this is our kickoff verse, foundational verse for this morning. The Bible says, the rich rules over the poor and the borrower is the slave of the lender. The rich rules over the poor and the borrower is the slave to the lender. Proverbs chapter 17 verse 1, if you're taking notes, better is a dry morsel with quiet than a full house of feasting with strife. In other words, the Bible said it's better to not have a whole lot than to have a lot and there is strife. Or to have a whole lot that you're in debt for that you really don't need that produces the strife. If you're new if you're new in church, we say this quite often. Say, well, man, I, I was going to go to church and I wanted to hear, but I knew when I went they'd start talking about money. Like they knew it! Why in the world would we talk about, why would we do a four week series on blame? Like, why would we do that much, like a whole month's worth of preparation and sermons and so forth for something that a lot of times we think people abuse and they do even in church. But let me give you three reasons that some of us may not be aware of that kind of set the stage for why we would talk about what we're going to talk about. And number one is that the Bible talks about money and debt and it talks about it a lot. They say that two-thirds of Jesus' parables deal directly with money and possessions. One in ten verses in the Gospels directly deal with money and possessions. And when you look from Genesis to Revelation, a lot of the way that we follow Christ, it's the decision, what do I do with my time and what do I do with my stuff? So the number one reason why we talk about money is because the Bible talks about it. Have you ever heard people say, we don't talk about money in church? One person, thank you. If the Bible talks about it, we got to get around to talking about it. So we, we value God's word, so we'll talk about it. Number two, debt is a problem. Can I get an amen? amen? Debt is a problem today. We hear that the number one cause of divorce is financial fights. We know in any type of a relationship... Even if you're single, you're fighting with yourself. If you're plowing for plenty, I mean, if you're plowing for pennies and, and rummaging for rubles and you're trying to find stuff to make, did y'all like that? I love it. All right. You're trying to find stuff to pay for what you need. And if there's not enough, then it creates tension and it creates strife and stress. Number three, students, middle school, high school students. Let me see where you at. Represent. All right. Do you guys realize that an understanding of money is important because check this out. Before you even graduate from homeschooled, right, or Franklin County High School, or another high school around this area, you need to realize that you can be financially sunk like crazy, stupid, obscene in debt before you walk across and get your high school diploma. You know why? Two words. Credit cards. When you turn eighteen, a lot of the times what companies will do is they will send you credit cards and you're like, Man, I can't wait. I'm getting ready to go to college, go to the military, workforce, and for guys who are like, Bro, five thousand dollar limit, like vm, like that's what I hear, man. You know, and we go out and we put motorcycles on credit cards, you know, or we go out and buy a bunch of clothes or whatever it may be, new technology. I like kit dynamite, I love technology, but not as much as you you see. And we just amass all this stuff when we're eighteen. And we don't even really know better. And parents, if we don't speak this into our students' lives, they can be going in the military workforce or college or a combination of the above, and they're financially sunk because they got a credit card that said they have $5,000 that they can spend. So it's a huge, huge issue. And can we just say this, just straight up, all of us have probably done something stupid with money at some point in the past. Okay. Some of y'all had, because you're like, yeah, these, these freaks around me, not me, right? I've mastered humility, right? Like those, those folks. Um, I just want to share this. Um, I don't even know if I've, I've told you guys a story with me and Jen yet since we've been married, but, um, back in April, I went to T4G. It's a conference called Together for the Gospel in Louisville, Kentucky. And that's where Jen was in seminary. And, uh, when I, when I got there, met Jen at her apartment met her roommates and whatnot. And then we were going to go to a prayer meeting with the Hawaiian students. And they had kind of like a prayer meeting Bible study thing. And, uh, and when we got into my car to go the car would not start Now, guys you know that when you first met the woman who's now your wife you were probably impressed amen right and at least i was i was nervous I was nervous. I didn't want to say something stupid, do something stupid. My car won't start. I was like, "Son of a biscuit, it won't start!" I mean, come on, like, Lord help! And so I drove all the, you know, seven hours after church, and I get there, and it's, it won't start. But guys, all the accessories were working, and I'm thinking this this doesn't make sense. But I'm not thinking clearly, and so then I try to, you know, pull the man card. Yeah, you got a hammer, <laughs> right? Because because y'all do know if you've got a bad starter, sometimes you can tap it with a hammer, and it'll work. All the mechanics are like rice. You know, write it down. So, so I got it. I go underneath the car and I'm, I'm kind of tapping around on the starter and then I get back in the car. Click, click, nothing, nothing. So finally I'm looking at, I, 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 I don't know what to do. Like you show up and you say, this, this could, this could be the one. This could be the one. You want to go on a ride? My car doesn't start, you know? And so she's going to have to show me around like, no, no. And so then finally I, I, I called, got in touch with the mechanic. This is really bad. God, blesses humility all right that's the reason why i'm telling this this morning I had to get a tow truck to tow me to a mechanic and when the tow guy came he looked in the car and he says do you do you have it neutral <laughs> we got somebody here this morning like why would why, why? Right? and we kind of made eye contacts and he didn't tell me with his mouth, but he said it like through telep- telepathy. You're a moron. You, sir, are a moron. And so then he gets in the car, puts it in park. Voom! You know, that, that Toyota Camry just just, you know, people are coming around a lot like, who has the hot ride? And so it started right up. And he looks me in the eyes and I said, well, I don't guess I'll be paying you for the tow, but I'll need to pay you for coming out. And he said, it'll be 40 bucks. And he looked at me again, and he said, without saying it, you're a moron. (laughs) And then Jen, she's got an awesome sense of humor. You know what she did? She's just waiting there. She said, you still need this hammer? (laughs) And I said, yes, could you just hit me in the head (laughs) with it? The point, and that's 40 bucks is just 40 bucks, but the point is that we've probably all done something stupid or we've not paid attention to detail that's ended up costing us money. And it kind of set the stage for getting into that. That was somewhat of a humorous story, but in all seriousness, this is the driving thought of today's message, that humility, humility, being humble is the key to getting out of unnecessary debt. If you're here this morning and you say, Jeff, man, we are living behind paycheck to paycheck. There is hope. There is hope in God's word. There are godly people who give give us keys and practical tools. It can happen. You can get out of debt, but it will only happen if there's humility. Because only humility can go without the brand new stuff. Pride says it's all about me, so I have to have the new stuff to feel important, right? Pride says I have to stay in that house even though we can't afford it because It's all about my comfort and my happiness and my enjoyment. It's not about financial responsibility and the glory of God. Humility says I don't have to turn heads with what I drive in order to feel important. Because no matter what we drive, we're still the same person, right? Humility says I'm willing to learn, God. Teach me what you would have me to do. Pride says... There's nobody who's going to tell me what to do with my life and my job and my money. That preacher Rocky Mount Baptist, he's not going to tell me. God's not going to tell me. Family's not going to tell me. It's my life. That's pride, and there is no hope in pride except for destruction. You see, what humility does, y'all, is humility kind of does an exchange. It exchanges that oppressive slavery of I always have to be the one with the brilliant ideas. I always have to be the one who's right for a willingness to be taught. And so what humility does is it trades the oppressive burden of pride and it kneels down at the brilliance of Jesus and is willing to learn. Humility is willing to admit I was wrong. Pride says it's your problem. Humility allows us to own our mistakes. But pride says I don't have any mistakes or if I do, it's your fault. Let me give you a couple of other verses in Proverbs Proverbs chapter 22, 3, the prudent or the wise man sees danger and hides himself or takes refuge, but the simple keep going and suffer for it. Proverbs 12, 15, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. And I think all of us here this morning, we want what is God's best for us. Hopefully and we say, I want what God would have for my life. The Bible says, if we are wise, we are willing to listen to advice. Proverbs chapter 1, 7, which sets the foundation for the entire book, says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and fools despise wisdom and instruction. We learned last week that the reason why some of us get in such deep financial holes, it's because we don't have a relationship with God. That's not a preachy point, but it goes like this. If we don't have an actual point, a purpose for our lives that goes beyond and above ourselves. For example, if my life is just about me accumulating things and friends and people so that I can have a good life, that's a life that cannot ever hope to be happy in any way because stuff and people don't satisfy. But if we have a relationship with God, then it's no longer about that stuff because God says if you seek first the kingdom of God, then all of these, help me out, all of these things will be added to you. So God's like, I got you. I got your back. I will provide what you need as long as you put me first. So it's like you get everything in one, but if we live for for possessions and simply circumstantial happiness then we don't end up with anything. So the foundational principle is a fear of God. It doesn't mean an irrational fear of God, but it means, man, if God exists, God should be feared, respected, and honored. Amen? Like the God who created everything and keeps everything together, that's not something that you just, I mean, it's a, you don't just like, well, God, I tip my hat to you. No, he deserves everything. So the fear of God leads to a true relationship with God. And a relationship with God gives us a purpose for life that's about stuff that's not just the next biggest thing. It's about things that live beyond ourselves. Such as seeing people saved through the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's it's by seeing parents, your sons and daughters, grow to be godly men and women that will outlast you. And the people that they impact with their lives... And a relationship with God can also cut the, cut the strings of the past. Because some of us here, you're like, man, I'm from a crazy, dysfunctional, crazy, jacked up family. And I don't want my kids to be like I was before Jesus Christ saved me. And on Wednesday night, we had an amazing testimony by Matt Chandler. He was actually on DVD, but he still gave the testimony here. And, and he said, what an awesome thing. This was two weeks ago. He said, what an awesome thing it would be for some of us who came from really rough backgrounds, who didn't know Jesus. Our parents didn't know Jesus. There's this functionality and alcohol abuse, all sorts of stuff in the home. What an amazing testimony your kids could have to say, you know what? As long as I can remember, my mom and dad loved Jesus. And we prayed at the house. And we read God's word. Even sometimes when we came across stuff that we didn't understand, we said it's God's word and God will help us with that. What an amazing testimony. They don't have to give a testimony of having to deal with the baggage that some of us did. That's the testimony. That's what can outlast our lifetimes and spread to impact other families. So what we're going to talk about in these practical points, it all begins with the fear of God that leads to a relationship with God. And I'm sure there's many men and women here today, and you say, no, I will not give my life to Jesus Christ. I will do my thing on my own time. There is no way I'm going to be baptized in front of other people, and that's because it's all about you. And freedom comes when there is humility, and that's a gift from God that we receive and then we act on it. So at the end of the service, we're going to talk about money and finances, getting out of debt. We'll have an old school invitation. All right, y'all. We're going to get out. They're going to see. Be thou my vision. If you need to get saved today, you can do it. Do it today. So let's go to uh, the problem. Let's look at the problem overall in the U.S. culture. This is from the great site NerdWallet.com. Great financial help there. The uh, U.S. household consumer debt profile is as follows. For those who have credit card debt. The average is $15,611. The average credit card debt across the entire nation is 7283 The average student loan debt is $32,264. And all of God's people said, wow. Average mortgage debt is $155,000 plus. The average numbers, this is really the kicker, of U.S. households that are living paycheck to paycheck is fifty. So that means if this is any type of a picture of the culture, then every other person in here, plus a hand or an arm or a leg, if something happened, would not have the money to pay for the next month's rent or mortgage. 45% of american credit card holders pay only the minimum payments on their consumer debt which means you will never get out of debt we'll talk about how to snowball that and they're over check this out 1.3 billion credit cards in the u.s of a that's like three times as many people total Credit card industry. This this will blow your mind. Takes in around forty three billion dollars a year with late fees, totaling over eleven billion of that forty three. What if we did Rocky Mountain Baptist Church's finances like this? It is quiet, so quiet. You know what some of us do? We get mad at the federal government. Can we all agree the government's not the best manager of finance? Maybe. Just going out on a limb here, right? Federal government, like big, big government, right? Like maybe, maybe they could use tax dollars in a little bit better way. It's interesting that some of us who get so upset at the government for living beyond its means, we do the same thing with our private finances. And what if we did, what if we did that with Rocky Mount Baptist Church? Would it all be well? No, sir. Pastor Jeff's email inbox would probably be full. We'd be having a little huddle. Y'all ever seen church huddles, right? It's not like a huddle, to get to know people. It's like a huddle, like who are we going to assassinate, right? Like one of those. It would not be well. So the issue is is we get angry at the government, but sometimes we do the same thing. What we're going to see today is that money is one of the most visible measurements of our heart. Historically, for those of you who are history buffs, there were two ways that debt was dealt with in the past. Number one was debtor's prison. Hell holes that you were thrown into and they said you cannot get out unless you pay your debt. Well, how can you pay your debt if you're in prison? Right? Then they came up with indentured servanthood. Where you'd basically sell yourself as a slave, like in Georgia, the penal colony of Georgia, many people were brought from England to pay off debts that way. But what does the Bible have to say about debt? Here's a quick flyover. Number one, debt can be a sign of desperation. 1 Samuel chapter 22, verses one and two. This is where David was hiding out from Saul. And it says in verse 2 of chapter 22, 1 Samuel, And everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him. These were people who were desperate who were gathering to David. So sometimes debt can be a sign of desperation because if we had the money, we wouldn't get into debt in the first place. Secondly, debt is a metaphor for our sin against God. In Matthew chapter 27, there was a man who had borrowed over 10,000 talents, millions upon millions of dollars, but he wasn't able to repay, and the picture was debt. The point of the story is that we've taken out more than we can ever repay, and Jesus is the only one who can pay our sin debt. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 6 and verse 12, Jesus says, to forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Interesting, isn't it? It's not necessarily talking about somebody taking out a specific loan. It's talking about forgiveness. Great verse in Colossians chapter 2 and verses 13 and 14. And you who were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Something else we see, especially in the Old Testament, Is that, drum roll, predatory loans that take advantage of the poor are straight up wrong. It's so quiet. Job chapter twenty-four verses three and four says, "They drive away the donkey of the fatherless, and they take the widow's ox for a pledge. They thrust the poor off the road, and the poor of the earth all hide themselves." The point in the Old Testament was that there were creditors who were taking advantage of people in times of famine, where so these people had to—they had to have something to plow the land with. They went into debt, and the creditor took away the only means of. Raising food. In essence, the creditor, when he or she could have allowed mercy for a time, came in and literally signed the death warrant of the poor. This is referring to people who worked hard during times of famine but had no other way to feed themselves. But if God has blessed you financially and you've done well, here's a verse for you. Psalm 112, 5 and 6. It is well with the man who deals graciously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. For the righteous will never be moved and he will be remembered forever. So there is a way to do finances that is biblical. And we'll go ahead and mention it. There's an article in the New York Times uh, on what most unemployed Americans do with their time. We don't have time to get into all the statistics, but it's very interesting that over a large survey, many of the people who are unemployed, not all by any means, spend most of their time during the day sleeping, social media and television. Now, if you claim to be a follower of Christ and something has happened outside your control and you've lost your job, there is no judgment in that. But shame on you. If you're without a job and you're spending your time laying in the bed, watching TV, and spending time on Facebook, that should not be for a follower of Christ. You could hear a pin drop. The Bible also tells us that cosigning for someone else's debt is unwise. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 1 through 5, chapter 22, verses 26 and 27. The point here. Is that there's a reason why the bank has you sign for that person's loan. Even if they're related to you. You know the reason? Because they're probably not going to pay it back. The Bible, this is summarizing, don't co-sign notes. You can give people money... Help them out. But according to the Bible, that's a great way to, number one, bankrupt yourself and then create crazy family problems. Because if you've ever seen money borrowed or notes co-signed for in a family, it doesn't all end up in peaches and cream. Most of the time it ends up with family rifts, which we don't need. You say, Jeff, what about rent-to-own services? And I want to make it very strong, but I think it's an accurate statement. Many of the rent-to-own services are predatory businesses that take advantage of poor people. There's no reason why a person needs to rent a dresser to own it. And to charge exorbitant amounts of interest. And if you are in that business and you are taking advantage of people who don't understand finances and they're poor, you need to get along with God and either get out of that business or you need to readjust it so it's not according to Old Testament law to where God becomes angry at the one who takes advantage of the poor. You say, well, Jeff, what does help people get on their feet financially? God's word, Craigslist, and garage sales. And we'll talk about that more. That's just putting it out there. The Bible also uses uh, the, the idea of debts. as and this, is, this is awesome. Some of you may, may not realize this. In the Old Testament, every 50 years, it was called the year of jubilee, and debts were to be forgiven. I'm sure some of y'all, some of y'all dirtbags are already thinking, okay, if I could do that here, then on the 49th year, I could run up on my credit cards, 50th year, it's all forgiven. That's the reason why we don't have the year of jubilee, all right, But the picture in the Old Testament was that the debts are all forgiven, the, the, the indentured servants and the slaves are freed, which is a foreshadowing of Jesus who would come and free us from sin and forgive our sin debts. There's a verse nestled in the Romantic book of the Bible, Song of Solomon, in chapter 2, verse 15. It says, Catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that spoil the vineyards. Here are some spoilers before we get into the how to get out of debt Talk, things that you don't want to do, if you don't have money. Number one, you don't need to have full package cable if things are tight. Some of y'all are laughing. Okay, there's a lot of folks that don't understand. If things are tight, you cut out what you don't need. We don't need alcohol to survive. No amens. Right? We don't need tobacco to survive. We don't need, stepping on toes, we don't need high-end coffee. Not naming any specific coffee businesses that sound like bucks (laughs) that start with star. I'm just saying, right? Guys, if things are tight, we don't necessarily need bigger and better things when we can't afford them that go vroom or boom. We don't need, this is what sinks most young families today. You don't need a car loan. You say, well, Jeff, I need something good to drive. We have godly mechanics here in Rocky Mount Baptist Church that I'm sure they wouldn't even charge you anything to find something on Craigslist that is used because most cars within the first four years lose, guess how much percentage of the value? 70%. And all God's people said, oh me, 70%, y'all, in the first four years, a new car. We need something safe to drive, but safe does not necessarily equal in any way taking out a loan at crazy interest rates. And if you are in that position, you say, I don't have a lot of money, but I need some dependable set of wheels. Talk to me. We can get one of our godly mechanics who will go with you. They'll give the car a look over, and I'm signing them up, and they don't even know it. And if you are in a car lease, get out of it. That is the dumbest thing that we can do. Because a car lease, not only do we pay exorbitant amounts of interest, but at the end of the five years, we've got a whole pile of jack squat to show for it. At least if we buy the car and we pay the interest, we have an old beater at the end of five years. All right? So once again, these are things that we just want to avoid doing. You see, Jeff, you sound like a cheapskate. I mean, you sound like yeah, like you sound like my dad. You sound like my grandpa. Like their clothes have gone in and out of fashion like eight different times. Like they don't even care, you know. They, they'll squeeze pennies. What we're talking about here is not just trying to do these things so we can have more, but so that we be able to be, have financial freedom, so that when the mission trip is offered, we can go. Right? When somebody comes who is in need, we can give. Some of us believe this lie, and may God help us to destroy it. We forget what Proverbs 21, 7 says that the borrower is slave to the lender and we work hard and we don't have the money. We're not out of the hole. And we say this, I owe it to myself. Do you owe it to yourself to take up a concrete brick and bash yourself in the face? No, you do not. Some of you are like, what? What happens sometimes is when we say, I owe it to myself, we create pain we create stress for ourselves by going into debt for things that we cannot afford so in your outline we're going to go through this scenario showing just how the little things that we do and don't do can mount up to big things number one two packs of cigarettes per week now if you smoke that's nothing we're going very conservative here eight bucks a week cheap cigarettes four hundred and sixteen dollars at the end of the year two packs a week second scenario Two 12-packs of beer per week, 20 bucks. You're like, where are you buying your beer? I don't. Some of you guys, all right, right? So we've got two 12-packs, 20 bucks a, year, a beer a week on beer, which is nothing if you drink. Or five or four or one or two or seven trips to Starbucks, something you don't necessarily have to have. Or you can say that 20 bucks is brown bagging a lunch, which means not paying for overpriced, unhealthy fast food. It means blending up tuna and mandarin oranges, amen Rob Terman, and drinking that bad boy down for lunch instead. Y'all know I'm just kidding. Not really. Or for those of you that engage in the lottery, three tickets, three $1 lottery tickets per week, $156 a year, the beer or the coffee or the brown bag in the lunch would end up at $1,040 per year. And by the way, lottery the lottery is a tax on the poor. You do know that. That the lottery is a tax on the poor. So some people say, Jeff, I, I win money at the lottery. If you're a follower of Jesus, to you I say, good job on capitalizing on taxing the poor. And you have fun with that money and you sleep good at night. You say, well, Jeff, it's not hurting anybody. The lottery is a tax on the poor. What that means for us to understand is that money that should have gone home to feed the poor people's kids is in the lottery. Which some of us think it's cute and it's funny. It's not. And you're feeding what is the worst thing that could happen to poor people who don't understand money. Because they say if I just five bucks here, ten bucks here instead of going home and paying for groceries for their children. So with the cigarettes, the beer, the coffee, the brown bag and the lunch or the lottery tickets, at the end of a year, that's sixteen hundred dollars. Let's say we multiply that by twenty-five years, that is forty thousand dollars and three forty thousand three hundred dollars with no interest. If we were to get with a financial planner and put it into a good account, and this is not at a bank, all right, a mutual fund at the end of twenty-five years with five percent compound interest once a year. That would be over $82,000. Now most of us would say. I could probably use $82,000. When it comes to retirement. That's with not smoking. Two packs a week. Or 20 bucks between beer, cigarettes. And eating out. And three lottery tickets per week. You say okay Jeff. Now that I feel extremely dumb. And I'm convicted. How do you actually begin to dig out of that hole? Here is the road out of financial slavery, and into financial freedom. Uh, Number one, it would be self-control. Self-control to where we begin to develop a budget. A budget where we have everything, there should be an outline there for you, a budget where everything that we owe, everything that we have coming in, and we get it all on paper. It may take a week, it may take two weeks, but you get together with your husband or your wife and you develop a some of us hate the word, a budget. I remember when I was a kid and we would go uh, to Burger King and my dad would say, we're on a budget, which means that everybody does not get to drink soft drinks. They get to drink water. And then sometimes we would have him buy a 58 cent two liter from Sam's. Come on, right? I mean, that stuff will rot your innards. And he would bring that, he'd bring that into, into Burger King and you'd hear, He's like, what, I'm just pouring my kids some Coke and he asked for, so here's the thing. I remember as a child, budgets mean no fun. But for us who are adults, we say budgets lead to freedom. So number one, self-control to budget. Number two, God, and we'll break this down in great detail next week. Uh, when we talk about getting ahead, you say, well Jeff, I want to give to the things of the Lord. I want to give to missions. I want to do those things, but I don't see how I can do that with my bills. We'll break that down in detail next week. So number one, we develop self-control. Secondly, we give to God. We begin to start tithing. That is Old Testament and New Testament. And here's the cool thing. If you've got kids or grandkids, you can kind of give them three different little buckets or containers, and one would be for giving, one would be for spending, and for saving. Give 10% to the Lord, then teach them when they're really young. You put 10% back. You live on the rest. All right? Number three, we want to start saving for emergency expenses. The emergency expenses is when your child thinks that he or she is a monkey and they realize they're not, and then you end up in the ER. That's an emergency, right? Brand new truck, not necessarily an emergency. Okay, new iPhone, the new computer. Some of our senior citizens are like, "Amen." Hey, man. All the younger folks are like, bro, what did you smoke today? All right. So we, we save up for an emergency. And uh, Dave Ramsey recommends about $1,000 for an emergency fund, whether the air conditioning unit goes out, whether you find termites really like your home, whatever it may be. So that means that if there's an emergency, there's something there. You say, Jeff, how do you do that? Number one, here's the big part. We start eliminating debts. What I recommend you do, and this comes from financial teachers, is begin to write out all the debts from smallest debt first down to larger debt. Don't consolidate them. And there are links at the bottom of your outline that you can go to and find out more information about this. Begin to, you say, well, Jeff, I don't know if I can start paying off the first debt. Try to find something that you can sell. Craigslist that sucker. I mean, sell it for 10, 20 bucks and then try to find, say, what can we cut out? How can, maybe we can eat at home instead of at Applebee's or even at McDonald's. Let's see some ways that we can save an extra $25 a week or a month. And then when you knock that first debt out, you take what you were paying on that and you go to the next bigger debt and so forth and so on. And it creates a snowball effect. And then we begin to save for the future. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 11 says, Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. And I would encourage all of you, regardless of your age, whether you're just starting out and you're like, Man, my goal is to own my own home by such and such age, or whether you may be a senior citizen, What we need to do is, number one, develop self-control, that life is not all about stuff, and then begin to say, God, I'm going to give to you even if I don't see how it's going to work out. And then from that point, we can begin to save for the future. And the cool thing, if you go to those links and go into more detail, God will give you the ability to get out of oppressive debt so that, I mean, just imagine in your marriage if there was not the oppressive debt there for stuff that you didn't need and couldn't afford. Imagine how good it could be. Got it? Got it? It can be possible if we follow God's word. Again, Proverbs chapter 22, verse 7. The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is the slave of the lender. Listen, as followers of Jesus Christ, we don't serve money. Who do we serve? We serve the Lord Jesus. And hey, like we talked about these last two weeks, there is some cool stuff out there. Can I get an amen? I mean, fun places to go, great places to eat. But listen, listen, we trade in lesser pleasures for something that is greater. And we begin to develop self-control and we know that we are not what we wear and what we drive and what we eat, but we are people who have been saved by Jesus who want to be to the place where we can give to those who are in need, not just so that we could be financially independent. So let's bow our heads and close our eyes as we come to this time of invitation. I know we talked about a lot of very financial type of uh, subjects. But there may be some some of us here today that say, Jeff, it is, uh, it's imperative that I get my finances where they should be because it seems that it, it consumes so much of my thoughts. But I know that what I've learned is that I need a relationship with God. The money is one thing, but I need to know that my sins have been forgiven. I need to know what, that I'm on my way to heaven. I need to know that the wrath of God no longer abides on me. I need to get saved. I need to give my life to Christ. I need to have a fresh new beginning. I know that I'm a sinner. In fact, man, every time when I think about God or when I drive past a church or when somebody talks to me, I just feel guilty, man. I I, I don't know. I don't know exactly what it is until I realize that I know that I need my. I know that I need Jesus. If you know that you need a relationship with God this morning. Why don't you just in the quietness of your seat, just there in this moment, give your life to Christ and ask him to save you. Ask him to save you and forgive you and to be the Lord and boss of your life. Just transfer authority to him right now. What we're going to do is David and Charlotte are going to lead us in in an old song, Be Thou My Vision. That's simply saying, God, would you help me to see what actually is. What we're going to do is we're going to stand to sing. We're going to ask you to get up out of your seat and walk down this aisle. And I'll take you right here and I'll pray for you in the quietness of this invitation. And by doing that, you know that walking down an aisle doesn't save you. It's not a magic thing. It's not a formula. It's not a religious duty. But you say, you know what? I just want to put feet to my prayers and say, I am ready to follow Christ. And I want to represent Him to everyone here. I want to make a statement today that I'm not waiting any longer. And there are others of you and you say, Jeff, man, I know that this is, is the place that... Me and my family are supposed to join. Don't wait any longer. Why don't you come today? This is where God would have you. And then for those of us and we say, Jeff, man, it's like finances. It's like money. It's just a continual issue. It just, it just, it just won't go away. Maybe your commitment this morning, your decision for Christ is begin to follow the steps on that outline and go to those resources that are listed there. Maybe talk to me, talk to some of our, the people on our stewardship team here at the church and we will help you get on the track to where you can be financially solvent and get to the place where you'll be able to give to the Lord and where that stress of unnecessary debt will not be there.